Hello, and welcome to the Quest Church San Diego Sermon Podcast. Our church has a passion to reach people who are far from God, teach them to follow Jesus, and launch them out to serve God in the world. If you're in the San Diego area, we'd love for you to join us for a service. Please visit questsd.com to learn more about us, find out service times, and explore our ministries. If you have any questions, send us an email at info at questsd.com. Thanks for listening, and we hope you enjoy today's message. We are going to jump into our Bible study this morning, so let me encourage you to grab your Bibles and turn with me to Daniel chapter 5. Daniel chapter 5. And I don't know if I mentioned, but you can sign up to volunteer in any one of those areas at the booth outside, or we're trying to do it all mostly electronically, so there'll be a link in the e-bulletin if you haven't signed up for that and you want to serve, then you should uh, get our e-bulletin or on our website. Um, and then uh, also you can bring candy donations and uh, financial donations if you wanted to, uh, all electronically online, or bring the candy to the booth um, next Sunday as we're gearing up for, for the event. But um, we are continuing our study through the book of Daniel, and let me just say it really is an honor and a privilege to be able to open up God's Word with you every single week. I do not take that lightly or for for granted. And one thing I hope that you have come to appreciate and know and respect and love about Quest Church is that every Sunday morning we're going to open up our Bibles. We're going to read the Scriptures together. We're going to travel through it, chapter and verse, and study God's Word. And yes, from time to time there are going to be some things that come out of the text that are going to challenge us. They're going to convict us. Uh, And today's very similar to that as well. But God is going to bring his comfort because of the grace of God. We've already sung about that. And I think that one of the, well, a couple of important things to note as we go through the book of Daniel is that we see these young men, Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, in the first six chapters of the book of Daniel as men who are standing upon their faith and trust in the Lord Jesus Christ and are very bold as they're confronted with the forces and powers of this great Babylonian empire. And I think that we can draw many uh, lessons in our own lives personally through that. But we also see the last six chapters of the book of Daniel dealing with prophecies. And the chapter for us today, Daniel 5, is no different because we see the fulfillment of prophecy not only in Isaiah, going back all the way to the prophet Isaiah, in prophesying about the fall of the Babylonian empire, which, in fact, if you just do a little bit of research and look it up, there's a, lot of, um, there's a lot of history, historical accounts about the events recorded in, in um, Daniel chapter 5. In fact, the Babylonian Empire uh, fell on October 16th, 539 B.C., which is pretty interesting, the date. Today is October 8th. I thought maybe we should just push this message till next week and it'll be kind of right on the same date. But um, in 1971... The Iranians actually celebrated the 2,500-year anniversary of King Cyrus uh, as uh, King Cyrus, the, you know, the great, their, their, um, their ruler of the Persian Empire. And so all of this, these events are, are really rooted in, in history. And we see that, as was mentioned three times in the previous chapter, that King Nebuchadnezzar would know that the Most High God rules from heaven the affairs of of men on planet earth. And so um, we're seeing that God is in control of the rise and fall of empires, but he's also in control of the issues that concern us 
And so we're looking at Daniel 5, and the title of the message is The Handwriting on the Wall, because it's a very famous passage. You might have heard or read it before, but we also say this phrase, oh, the handwriting's on the wall. Well, what do we mean by that? We mean that uh, there's, you know, it's kind of a warning sign that uh, there's some doom or misfortune that's coming. Handwriting's on the wall. Something bad is going to happen. And uh, the king sees this handwriting on the wall as a warning. And I'd like to fo- focus us in on this idea of a wake-up call or warning signs when it comes to God's intervention in our lives. And the point that we want to remember today is that God's wake-up calls prevent great downward falls. And I was kind of wrestling with the word prevent. Maybe even proceed would be a good word. I think both apply because God often gives us warning signs in our lives to prevent or uh, precede, um, you know, us from going into dangerous places. You know, uh, recently our oldest daughter is getting her driver's license. And so she's got a permit and, you know, she's working on her hours and so I don't know if you're familiar with the traffic that, or the, um, the construction that's going on up on the freeway. We're, we're affected by it because we live out in the back, back country of Hopatool Valley. And so we've been taking the back roads, which, you know, Hopatool Valley and, uh, and Dehisa Road that uh, we can go to school the back way. And so, you know, if you've driven those roads, you know, they're, they're quite dangerous. In fact, people drive really fast on those roads. I don't know why they do. We actually have to pull over often because they're just riding you uh, on, you know, behind you. But um, they're very dangerous and there's signs. There's, there's road signs all over the place kind of giving an indication that um, there's a hairpin turn coming up and be very careful and reduce your speed and, you know, because the turn is, is coming. And it would be foolish for us to, to disregard those warning signs I mean, road signs are used to, to keep us safe, uh, to warn us of things to come, and even to give us direction. And so we would never think about just running a, a stop sign or avoiding the stop sign because we'd be going into uh, traffic or uh, accelerating into a turn because we would go right off the cliff. And I, and I think that, you know, Scripture provides us, for, provides us with warning signs and wake-up calls to get our attention and get us focused back on the Lord. And uh, we're going to see that happen in a couple of ways for this king, but also for ourselves. One is we're going to see the gall or the nerve of the king to uh, have this great feast in light of the oncoming Persian Empire. Second, we're going to see the writing that God does on the wall. Third, we're going to see the call of Daniel to come and interpret this, this writing and these words. And then lastly, we're going to see the fall of the Babylonian Empire. And so, a lot to get to. We're going to jump in and read through Daniel chapter 5, beginning in verse 1. Belshazzar, the king, made a great feast for a thousand of his lords and drank wine in the presence of the thousands. So, we're introduced to a, a new individual in the story. We haven't heard of Belshazzar before. Uh, we've only been dealing with King Nebuchadnezzar. And so we're told that there's some time that has taken place between King Nebuchadnezzar and Belshazzar. We're later told in verse 2, it says, While he tasted the wine, Belshazzar gave the command to bring the gold and the silver vessels, which his father, 
Nebuchadnezzar had taken from the temple in Jerusalem. And so there seems to be some type of connection or relationship with King Nebuchadnezzar that Belshazzar has. However, when you look at the chronology of the Babylonian kings during this time, of which we have a lot of historical record, we see that Belshazzar is um, not the son of King Nebuchadnezzar. So this uh, word father could be just an honorary title of one who is the predecessor of the current king. Or we also have seen indication and record that uh, Belshazzar's father married King Nebuchadnezzar's daughter, which would make King Nebuchadnezzar his grandfather. And so in the patriarchal sort of culture at the time, it was common to say your grandfather, your great-grandfather, your great-grandfather was your father. So basically, all of that to say that there have been a couple of kings that have come after Belshazzar, excuse me, after King Nebuchadnezzar, and Belshazzar is the one who is currently in control of Babylon during this time. Some records indicate that the actual king, so he, he's the co-regent of Babylon, but his father was off fighting the Persian army, and he was left to take control uh, of the affairs of Babylon during this time. So what does he do? He throws this feast, this drunken feast. In fact, he's drinking a lot of wine, a lot of alcohol. And in this moment, he calls for the articles of the temple of Jerusalem to come so that they brought the gold vessels, verse 3, that they had taken from the temple of the house of God, which had been in Jerusalem, and the king, and, the king and his lords, his wives, and his concubines drank from them. And they drank wine and praised the gods of gold, of silver, of bronze, iron, of wood, and of stone. And so in the beginning verses, we see the situation. And that situation is this king, Belshazzar. He calls for a feast. Now what's interesting about the context of all of this taking place is that when you look at the history books, you know that the Persian Empire laid siege to Babylon. And by laying siege to Babylon, that during this time of this great feast, in fact, at the end of this chapter, we see that very night the empire fell and Belshazzar was killed. And so these events are taking place very rapidly. So it is quite possible that Belshazzar could have seen, very well knew, of the doom and the destruction and the enemy that was crouching at the door. And yet, what does this king do? He throws a drunken feast. He throws a party. He throws this drunken party while the enemy is plotting and planning an evasion. And I think it's a misstep, as King Nebuchadnezzar gives us an example of, excuse me, King Belshazzar gives us an example of. It is a misstep to ignore the enemy at the doorstep. He's completely oblivious, or maybe even just trying to forget about it, and thinking that he is safe and secure inside these 20-foot thick walls 60-foot high walls, 100-foot perimeter walls of Babylon. I'm safe and I'm secure. I don't need to worry. So he has this feast. I think there's something to be said about a couple of these things. One is, is that he drowns himself in the wine in order to forget about the dangers. Now, just being honest and personal about it, even in my own life, before I came to Christ, I struggled with alcohol. I struggled with even marijuana, smoking and doing these uh, sort of things. And it was a way, actually, I felt 
as though during the time that I was running from God and I was trying to cope with the problems and the issues and, and the struggles and the challenges. In fact, I have, I have friends over the years who have even said to me, uh, so, so I can relate to that type um, of response. But I have also have friends who have said to me over the years, and they've actually said they're functioning alcoholics. I thought, well, that's, I mean, how is that even possible? And they said, I, I, I have a job, I, I meet all my obligations, I, I do all the things during the day, but at night, I go home and I, I get drunk. At night, I go home and I drink wine or I, I, I drink alcohol, I drink beer. And they say to me that no one sees and I'm not hurting anybody. And I just want to say that if you're a Christ follower and that is your weekend, then you are hurting Jesus Christ's heart. You're breaking his heart. And if you're married to somebody, you are also breaking their heart. And if you have kids looking up to you as a father or as a mother, that you are potentially breaking their heart as well. It's interesting that they call alcohol spirits. You see that, you know, you go to the store and it's spirits. I mean, there is something powerful. There's a power, powerful delusion and a persuasion of alcohol has on people's lives. I have suffered the effects of that in my own personal life. But I also know that God is able to deliver and to break the chains and to restore. In fact, the story is going to go on to say that Daniel was a, this one individual in the kingdom of Babylon who was filled with the Holy Spirit and that other people had heard about him. And this individual was filled with the Holy Spirit. You know, there's scriptures that talk about how if we walk in the Spirit, then there'll be love and joy and peace and patience and kindness, the fruit of the Spirit. But if we satisfy the flesh, then one of the fruits of the flesh is drunkenness. And even the Apostle Paul says in Ephesians chapter 5 that we should walk circumspectly, understanding the times, for the days are evil, and the will, and so that we can understand the will of God to not be drunk with wine, but be filled with the Holy Spirit. We don't know when the Lord is going to call upon us to be used by Him, just as Daniel was called upon God to be used uh, in his situation. And so uh, we also see, for example, Paul the Apostle goes on to talk about in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 6, be watchful and sober for those who sleep, sleep at night. And those who get drunk, get drunk at night. You see, we try to hide those things and we think that no one can see. But the Bible says that God doesn't look at the outward appearance. He looks at the heart. And I want to say that if that is a challenge for you, maybe it's a wake-up call. I don't know. As we work through the scriptures, this, these are things that come up. But maybe that's a wake-up call for you, that God wants to get a hold of your heart and your life. And he sees this area that is breaking his heart. And these are warning signs to say, you know what? If you keep going down this route, there, there's going to be some, some dangers. And as I continue to go down that route, I, I ran my life into a ditch. I hurt the people around me that loved me the most. There was a wake of, of turbulence that I, that, left, that I left behind me in my life when I, was, when I was controlled by the world's spirit. But when the Holy Spirit came upon me, when I surrendered my life to Jesus Christ and he made me new 
And I was no longer defined or had to satisfy the things of my flesh anymore, but I could walk in step with the Spirit. Then there was redemption. Then there was restoration. Then there was a newness of life. So if that's a warning sign for you, I encourage you to heed those. Pump the brakes and allow the Lord to work in your area. So he's oblivious to the dangers. Now, maybe you can extend that to any other area of a, of a wake-up call or a warning sign. The Bible says, the Bible says that, that, that the enemy, Satan, is like a roaring lion looking for whom he can devour. He is just after you and I. He just wants to sink his teeth into us. And that we're also told in Scripture that sin crouches at the door looking to just pounce on us. And we're told to guard our hearts and protect our hearts because out of it flow the issue of life. There is an evil. There is a temptation. There is a lure. There is um, a destruction at the doorstep waiting. And God provides his protection for us if we surrender and submit to him. So the king here, he brings these vessels. There is a profane and offensive thing to God. He's pursuing his pleasure at the expense of uh, offending God. And what happens in verse 5? We're told God intervenes. And in the same hour, a finger of a man's hand appeared and wrote opposite the lampstand on the plaster of the wall of the king's palace. And the king saw the part of the hand that wrote. And then the king's countenance changed. That was a sobering opportunity right there. Boy, he just sobered up quickly when he saw the hand of God. And his thoughts troubled him so that the joints of his hips were loosed and his knees knocked against one another. That's an interesting image. The drastic change from the power and the, just the, the jovial nature of the drunken party. Oh, don't worry. Everything is under control. We've got it all figured out. And when God steps in, Knees are knocking. Fear is just very real. And the king cried out, called all the wise people to come to help him with the interpretation. I'm giving a paraphrase here of the following verses. And said, if you can give me the interpretation, I'm going to reward you with all these great gifts. And these wise men came. They couldn't provide any answers. And so the queen steps in in verse 10. Because of the words of the king, she came to the hall. She spoke to the king saying, O king, live forever. Do not let your thoughts trouble you, nor let your countenance change. There is a man in your kingdom in whom is the spirit of the holy God. Everyone just circle that phrase, there is a man. Because there is always a man and there is always a woman who is filled with the Holy Spirit in their generation or in their neighborhood or in their home or in their country or in their world or in their school. There is a man or a woman filled with the Holy Spirit that God says, that's my guy. That's my woman. She represents me. And you can look to her to point you to me. We need more people in our nation and in our country, in our world right now, to be that man and that woman filled with the Holy Spirit, to be called upon because it goes on to talk about how when he was called, they are filled with the Holy Spirit. Verse 13, then Daniel was brought in before the king and the king spoke saying to Daniel, are you that Daniel who is the one captive of Judah? 
whom my father the king brought from Judah, I have heard of you. Wow, that's interesting. I heard of you. He talks about reputation. And in Proverbs 22, verse 1, Ecclesiastes chapter 7, verse 1, it talks about how a good name is to be had more than riches and more than precious ointment. And I know that I have done things in my past that have destroyed my name. I've destroyed my reputation because of things that I've said or, or things that I've done. Now, in the Old Testament, we don't have the end of the story, but in the New Testament, when you put those together, we have the complete story. We have the grace of God in the Messiah, Jesus Christ. We have redemption and newness of life. We have a God of second chances. We have a God who picks us up after we've been cut down low. A God who, when we have ran our reputation or God's reputation into the mud, would say, it's okay. I love you. I'm with you. I'm for you. I'll take whatever you have destroyed and I'll make it pretty. It might not make sense to us, but when you surrender your heart and your life into that hand, the hand that writes on the wall, the hand that intervenes in history, the hand that raises up kingdoms and brings down kingdoms, when you surrender your life to that hand, then that hand is going to lift you up as we humble ourselves before the Lord. A reputation, a good name is to be had in all riches. Here's that recommendation. As God inscribes the message on the wall, there is this finger. It's pretty shocking. It's pretty unexpected. I wish from time to time God would do that in my life. Very clear and very obvious. Okay, God, I get the point. Very point taken. I'm gonna course, I'm gonna change my course. I'm gonna make some changes. But it's not always as obvious in our lives. God can do it through his word. He can do that through prayer. He can do that through the Holy Spirit, just convicting our hearts. He can do that through conversations and, you know, godly friends and people in our lives. But the point is to heed those warnings as he uh, speaks to us of pending doom or even misfortune. Be careful, son. Be careful, daughter. You're driving too fast. You're going in the wrong direction. And uh, these... This was a horror to the king. He was very fearful. His knees were knocking. I think it's interesting when you look at the image of this king. Here was this image of the king of power and of authority and of control. But in a moment and in an instant when God stepped in, he was weak and he was vulnerable. And I think his outward um, vulnerability was an indication of the inner conviction of conscience. And I think it's something also, another thing to be said about image, uh, because sometimes we put a lot of emphasis on image. You know, even on social media, we like to highlight all the best things about our lives. Oh, I'm sure maybe not you, but uh, I know I do. I, I, we have filters for everything. <laughs> we can make all the wrinkles go away and our teeth look a lot whiter and maybe even give us a little more hair. I don't know, but uh, we have filters for life. Um, we, we present to people an image publicly of the best moments when our kids are behaving the best. When uh, we have the great toys or the great vacations. And we present an image. Now, the Bible says that God does not look at the outward appearance, but he looks at the heart. 
And we can have a great outward image, but a very, how do you say? I'm just thinking of all kinds of words. <laughs> um, declining heart when it comes to the things of the Lord. And what's interesting is that while God used the Persian army to bring the destruction of the Babylonian Empire, they did not fall because of that army. They fell because of the decline of spiritual and moral standards in their lives. That's what, that's what God is doing. He's stepping in and saying, because you have pride in your heart, You've resisted God and you've not considered him as the most high. It's a decline of the spiritual and moral condition of the person that brings about the downfall. And I think that much of that can be attributed to our country even today. I don't want to sound political. I just mean I am American and I love my country. But the more that we see our leaders and our laws reflecting less of the scriptures and of the Bible the more that we see the decline and the fall from God's grace, from God's mercy. It doesn't mean that he still doesn't extend it to us. So I pray that there would be Daniels and Shadrachs and Meshachs and Abednegoes and all these types of men and women such as you and I in our country and in our world that can pray for revival, that can pray for a spiritual awakening, that can stand as heralds as even Daniel stood to say, You have not heeded the warning signs of God. We can say that on a personal level, but we can also say that when we look at the condition of our country, Babylon, being a great example of that, falling, falling into the world and yet falling into the hands of God. So we have the king. The recommendation is given. I have heard of you. It's interesting if you just kind of follow along with the story Most scholars believe that Daniel was probably at this point about 60 years old. And because he wasn't called upon in the beginning, you remember at the end of the previous chapter with King Nebuchadnezzar, there was a decree for all of Babylon to worship the Most High God from heaven. And that Daniel was given all of this influence and power as this great ruler. And so some believe that Daniel was probably semi-retired. You've got to be careful because if you think you're retired, there's one day God might just call upon you even if you're a little bit older. What's interesting about that is Daniel wasn't afraid to say it like it is. And I think that's pretty, uh, pretty wise of, shall I say, just older people. I, as I'm getting older, I'm coming to the place of realizing that, um, you know, you're not going to please everybody. And sometimes uh, when you say things, it may hurt and offend people, but if you do it in love and, and grace, then hopefully that point will be taken. But Daniel is a semi-retired person filled with the Holy Spirit. God called him up. He was going to use him. And he speaks truth to power. And so the recommendation, in fact, comes. And he appears before the king. He says, I have heard of you, verse 15. And the wise men, the astrologers, he's told that they came and they couldn't interpret. But I've heard of you that you have this power, and if you would interpret this dream or these words, I'll give you purple cloth, chain, and you'll be the third ruler. And that's pretty interesting because that very night, the kingdom fell. And so 
would have been a pretty short-lived third rule. But in verse 17, then Daniel answered and said before the king, let your gifts be for yourself. Daniel wasn't interested in gifts. And give your rewards to another. Yet I will still read the writing to the king and make known to him the interpretation. O king, the most high God gave Nebuchadnezzar, your father, a kingdom and a majesty and a glory and an honor. He's going to give King Belshazzar a history lesson and talk about how God humbled the king and how the king came to a place of honoring and glorifying and recognizing the creator God of heaven. But in verse 20, when his heart was lifted up because of pride, he was humbled. And yet over a period of time, he uh, uh, repented and he was restored to his kingdom. But in verse 22, Daniel says, But you, his son Belshazzar, have not humbled your heart, although you knew all of this. That, that's an interesting phrase. Although you knew all of this. Basically, Daniel is saying, you knew better. You knew all of these things. And yet, even knowing the truth, you still disregarded those warning signs. And when you lifted yourself up against the Lord of heaven, you brought the vessels of the temple and you praised other gods of silver, gold, bronze, iron, wood, stone, which do not see or hear or know. And the God who holds your breath in his hands and owns all your ways, you have not glorified. Would you just circle that phrase? That's a pretty interesting. The breath. God, we are only alive today because God allows us to have breath. It's his grace. It's his mercy. In the book of Genesis, we're told how we were created in God's image and he breathed into us and our nostrils the breath of life. At any moment, God could just, like if you have a candle at home and you're going to bed and you blow the candle out, just like that. Yet his grace gives us breath in our lungs a heart beating in our chest. And all of our ways, all of the things that we have, all of the things are in His hands, are sustained by Him. And that's the case, just on a basic, simple level. It means that we should just fall down on our face and worship God. It's like, okay, God, this is beyond me. Lord, you are great, you are good, you are awesome. Just give me breath. Now with the breath that God gave Belshazzar the king, he didn't praise him, he profaned him. And because of that, there was this judgment. And it wasn't just judgment in the moment because God was mad and angry. It was actually a fulfillment of God's ultimate purpose and plan. Throughout the course of history, there was over and over opportunities to come back. And yet, we see the fulfillment here. The revelation, the breath, it all is we owe to the Lord. And he goes on to say, at the finger of the hand wrote these words, many, many, tekel yofarsin. Which means in interpretation, verse 28, God has numbered your kingdom and finished it. You have been weighed in the balance and found wanting. Your kingdom has been divided and given to the Medes and Persians. Therefore, Belshazzar, he gives all of these gifts to David, excuse me, to uh, Daniel. And so the revelation, because of 
your pride. Because of your prideful actions, King Belshazzar, God has put an end to your kingdom and he's given it over into the hand of the Persians. So this is the fulfillment of it. And I mentioned earlier that when you look at history, you can see on October 16th, 539 B.C., this event happened. Now that's interesting because if you go back to the book of Isaiah, we'll end with these verses in Isaiah chapter 44, 150 years before there was ever a man named Cyrus or details specifically described in the fall of Babylon, do we see the prophecies described. And so it's fulfilled. God completes his purpose and his plan. Verse 30, that very night, Belshazzar, king of the Chaldeans, was slain. And Darius the Mede received the kingdom, being about 62 years old. Now, we don't actually have much information about this man named Darius the Mede. So some suggest that this word Darius or the name Darius is an honorary title for Cyrus or perhaps the name of an individual who Cyrus gave control and authority to rule Babylon after its fall. But we are told in the history books that the Euphrates River flowed directly through the city of Babylon, which is in modern-day Iraq. And... um, because of that, under the wall that went across this, the, the river, they built these large gates to, to, to protect them from the, the vulnerable penetration from underneath the water. But the river is big and large, and they didn't worry about even locking those gates or, or worried about people coming in from those vulnerable spots. And we're told that Cyrus and all of his generals and the army, when they laid siege to Babylon, actually diverted the flow of the Euphrates River. And so by diverting the flow of the river, it exposed the vulnerable gates that were underneath the wall. And they entered into the city underneath the wall through the gates and not one person was slain. Well, uh, except for the king here and some of those people in the court. But there was no resistance and there, there was no fight against the Persian army as they entered in. Now, with that in mind, Turn with me to Isaiah chapter 44, and we'll end with this. Isaiah 44. 150 years before the fall of the Babylonian Empire, we read in Isaiah 54, beginning in verse 26, just for context, Chapter 44 in Isaiah is dealing with the judgment that God brings against the children of Israel, but also with the hope of restoration. And in verse 26, he says, Who confirms? God confirming the word of his servant and performs the counsel of his messengers, who says to Jerusalem, You shall be inhabited, and to the cities of Judah, You shall be built. That's a miracle because at this point, They were completely destroyed. They were captive in Babylon at the time. We're already told about that. We studied that in Daniel, being taken as one of the captives in Babylon. And the judgment against Jerusalem, who says to Jerusalem, you shall be inhabited. In the cities of Judah, you shall be built. And I will raise up her waste places. Who says to the deep, be dry, and I will dry up your rivers. Everyone say rivers. Wow, that's pretty interesting. 150 years before, we see God say 
that there's going to be judgment and it's going to come through dry rivers. He goes on to say, I will dry up the rivers. And who says to Cyrus? Everyone say Cyrus. Wow. This individual was not known at the time. No one could have predicted, except for God, that this individual, this great, Cyrus the Great, the Persian victor and army and leader of the Persian and Medo-Persian Empire, Cyrus, is coming on, named by God. He is my shepherd. He shall perform all my pleasure, saying to Jerusalem, you shall be built. Cyrus was the one who gave the decree to rebuild the, the walls of Jerusalem and to rebuild the foundation of the temple. Cyrus was the one. God used a pagan king. In fact, this is described in artifacts that have been found in the region in great detail of King Cyrus giving this decree as well as um, destroying the city of Babylon. The rivers drying up. King Cyrus coming to fulfill God's pleasure and purpose. You shall be rebuilt. And to the temple, the foundation shall be laid. Verse 1 of chapter 45. Thus says the Lord to his anointed, to Cyrus, whose right hand I have held, to subdue nations before him and to loose the armor of kings. Now, some of your translations might say loose the loins because that word is used to describe the hip as a body part or even the hip as the location where you would fasten armor. And did we not just read when the handwriting on the wall was given that King Belshazzar's hip was loosed? Did you see that? Wow, that's pretty interesting. When you put the pieces together of prophecy in the Old Testament and God orchestrating all of these events and seeing the rivers dry up, Cyrus coming to conquer, the king humbled in the palace, and it goes on to say, so that the gates will not be shut. Wow. The historian Herodotus tells us that the gates, that the Persian empire, the Persian army was surprised when they came to the gates after they were exposed, when the river was dried up, that they were unlocked. And they just walked into the city. Do you see the beauty of God's word? The power of God's word? The authority of God's word to predict future events. So if God can predict the fall of the Roman Empire to the day with precise accuracy, he's going to go on to predict events that concern the second coming of Jesus Christ and the days in which we live to be ready for his return. That gives us assurance upon the authority and the power of God's word, but it also gives us, friends, listen, these wake-up calls personally, but also as a church body, as the bride of Christ, to be Daniels and Danielesses in our culture, in our world, and in our generation. So with that, let's pray. Heavenly Father, we love you. We thank you. The power of your word is so clear and obvious just to see the connections and to see how you fulfill your word, your purpose, and your plan. Sometimes the hand of God can be very frightening if we are doing things that we know displease you. But we also have experienced the hand of God as something very comforting to encourage us 
to say, keep going, son or daughter. You're my representative. You're my ambassador. You're the one whom I have filled with the Holy Spirit, not to be foggy, in your heart, in your mind, and in your soul with things of this world. But to be focused on you. Lord, I pray if there are any warning signs that we have, that we would deal with them as we sing this song and close out our service today. Push the brakes. Put the car in park. Thank you, Lord Jesus, that you make all this possible. That you have not, that God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. For God did not send His Son into this world to condemn the world, but that through Him the world might be saved. The greatest sign that you and I have ever received was the sign of Jesus Christ. And when you look to Him, you see forgiveness of sin, you see newness of life, and you see from death and destruction into the family of God. God, we love you. We do pray for our country. We pray for Israel right now. God, we pray for, you say that we should pray for the peace of Israel and this terror and war and rockets and death. That as as Israel is your precious chosen people, that you've entered into an everlasting covenant with, God, we pray for your protection and for your peace. But we also recognize that this is part of a bigger picture of what you said would happen in the end times. So now, Lord, we pray for revival. We pray for spiritual awakening. We pray for a fresh power of your Holy Spirit because we need men who are not drinking away the weekend. We need men who put on the armor of God, who protect their wives and their kids, who stand for righteousness, holiness, purity, who speak truth to power, who are not influenced by the spirits on the shelf or the liquor cabinet or the wine cellar, but are controlled and filled with the Holy Spirit. Protect our our homes and our kids. Pray that you would break those chains of addiction Lord, our country needs a wake-up call. It is desperately 
in need of you. Our children are being kidnapped by perverts. Babies in the womb are being murdered. An entire generation is being sexualized. Jesus, we need you. May you come. May you work. May you heal the, the writings on the wall. Perhaps your judgment is already there. I don't know that. But I know your grace is it. While we have breath in our lungs, there's still an opportunity. So we pray for our hearts to be close to you. And do a work. May we take seriously. Writing on the wall, the signs we see. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks again for joining us for the Quest Church San Diego Sermon Podcast. We hope you were encouraged by today's message. If you have any questions about the Bible, need prayer, or recently made a commitment to follow Jesus, we'd love to hear from you. Please visit questsd.com to get connected. You can also send us an email at info at questsd.com to let us know how God is using these messages to encourage you in your walk with Jesus. Until next time, we pray you have a blessed week.